All right, everybody, go ahead and grab your seats. Go ahead and grab your seat. We're going to jump right into the uh, lesson today. A little different than normal. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you to the uh, South Bay Church. Uh, Go ahead and have a seat. We're a a family, uh, part of a family of churches all over the Los Angeles area called the Los Angeles Church of Christ. About 25 years old as a church. Started in L.A. and spread out all all over uh, the surrounding area. So we're the South Bay Church, the South Bay group of the L.A. Church of Christ. Really grateful to have you with us if you're visiting with us. Normally we do a little bit more singing at the beginning, uh, but today we, we only did two songs so that if people come in late, we can embarrass them as they come in while we're all sitting down. Not really, not really. Uh, we're doing more singing later because the, the lesson, as you're going to see, has to do a little bit with, uh, with singing. And so after we look into the scriptures and spend a, bit, a little bit of time looking into God's word, we're going to spend a little more time singing because I know we love to sing, whether we've got gifted ability with it, as the world would say or not, uh, I think God loves every voice in here. So uh, we're going to be able to sing in here in a little bit. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a lesson today on rejoicing. And uh, uh, this is something I was thinking about over the holidays. Uh, so I had been thinking about doing this, this, this lesson, and then this week was a particularly challenging uh, one in my household, for, uh, especially the beginning of the week. Monday was a very dark day in the Craig household. Um, we, we were, we, we had a great time on vacation. We were, uh, with my parents and my sisters, their, their two husbands and their three kids, they each have three kids. So it was nine kids, uh, 17 people all together for two weeks in one house. It was kind of crazy. Um, a lot of little kids, but we had a great time. We ended up being stuck a few days extra because of all the weather back East because we were in New Jersey. And uh, it was, when we finally made it back, it was, it was a long, arduous journey, but we made it back. It was crazy. You know, all, the rest of America, we, we don't understand here. <laughs> it was nine degrees when we left. We get to, to Denver. We're stuck in Denver for a while. It's, it's like 10 degrees there. They have to de-ice the plane. Everybody's stressed out. It's crazy. Then we get here, and it's 75 degrees, you know. Everybody's chill. It's Southern California. It's like, Wow. But anyway, it was, we, we were a few days late, and then we had a crazy week last week trying to get ready for our workshops and, and our, our banquet, which was so awesome, a lot of fun. But anyway, you know how when you, you have a lot going on in your house, just kind of goes crazy, and there's stuff everywhere, and you can't find your belt? You know, like it's just, it's just crazy. So it's that environment. Then we have a mouse that's living with us now, and, and, and so there's mouse poop in new places all the time. And then uh, Dessa was sick, Cora was sick, I was sick, everybody's sick. The cat gets sick. The cat is so sick that we think she's going to die. She doesn't eat for three, for five days. We took her to the vet. We're force feeding her, you know, with a syringe water just to try to keep her alive. So on Monday, and then, and then Cora was sick and she didn't know, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Dessa's reading online. She's like, I know you should never read online, but there's diabetes in her family. She, she was concerned about diabetes. So she, there's this list of questions that you ask. If someone has diabetes. So she asks all these questions and Cora is yes to like everyone. So Dust is thinking, okay, Dust, my, my daughter has diabetes. My cat is dying. So she, so Dust is just, she's crying. She's sobbing on Monday. All three of my kids are sobbing. You know, I, I come and find one of my kids downstairs. He's lying by the cat, just crying. I liked her. I liked her. You know, cause she, cause the, you know, we went to the vet twice. The vet was not real positive. 
uh, we could do these x-rays that would cost $250 for the x-rays, but then the x-rays are just to see if she had swallowed something that was all stuck in her intestines, at which case you would have to do surgery, which is two or $3,000. And this is a rescue cat we got six months ago, you know, and, and we, we were like, oh, we rescued her from death then, you know, but maybe, maybe her death is certain, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so it was, it was a, it was a dark day. I mean, on a scale of human suffering, it wasn't really that bad. But in the Craig household, it's like, man, this is a rough day. And so I had been thinking about this because this is what I was thinking about for my theme for the year. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so I'm like, wow, how do do you do that with a day like Monday? You know, how do you rejoice always? This is easy to memorize, but it's hard to do. And uh, this is something that Paul the, uh, the Apostle wrote. In Philippians, and he also said this in Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This has to be one of the most disobeyed verses in the Bible, because it's hard. It's hard to rejoice always. It's hard to give thanks no matter what. I mean, think about that. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is difficult, but hard to do. And uh, this isn't just the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, I, I ran across this, uh, this scholar, Kaufman Kohler. He's a, a German-born rabbi. He said this, no language has as many words for joy and rejoicing as does the language of the Old Testament Hebrew. In the Old Testament, there are 13 Hebrew language roots used in 25 different, 27 different words. They are primarily used for some aspect of joy or joyful participation in worshiping God. What he's saying is in the Old Testament, there's 27 different words for joy. Uh, the joy is throughout the Old Testament. And that, that really sets Christianity apart from uh, so many other religions that are you know, not about being joyful. Buddhism is about trying to remove all emotion, try to remove any joy. Uh, you know, uh, Islam is, is, is not about love and joy. It's about, uh, it's about commitment. It's about faith. But... But this is so much of our faith is about joy, and yet it's hard to do. But I, I wanted to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture that, that helped me thinking about these things. It's a, a, a little window into Jesus and his ministry in Luke 10. So go ahead and be turning to Luke 10. I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to jump into uh, the Scriptures. Let's pray. God, thank you to be able to look into your word. Thank you for Jesus and his example and the way that he uh, helps us to uh, get our focus where it needs to be. Thank you for this time in the beginning of the year when we can kind of reevaluate, think about 2013, put some things away uh, and uh, celebrate some things and then look forward to this new year and what we want to be and what we want to do and how we want to conduct ourselves in your kingdom. Pray you bless our time as we look into your scriptures. It's in Jesus name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but uh, I feel like 2013, I spent too much time stressed out. I spent too much time anxious. I spent too much time being angry. And I really want this year to be one where I'm joyful, where I'm at peace, where I uh, make the choice to rejoice. And so that's the, the title of the lesson today, the choice to rejoice. And I just have one point for you to take home. That is to rejoice is a choice to rejoice is a choice. And we're going to look at a few specifics ways to do that. But it, it is something we can control. I think so often we think my emotions are just uh it just depends on what happens to me. We think we can't control the way we look at things. And yet it is a choice to rejoice that we'll see in Scripture. Uh, in in uh, 
chapter 10 of Luke. Actually, before we do that, I want to share something with you. Everybody there, Luke 10? Okay, we're going to get there in a second here. Before we, we do that, my cat, you know, as I mentioned, my cat was on her deathbed. And uh, it was kind of funny, but it made me think about death a little bit. And I saw this that made me think about how I want to live my life and what I want to focus on. And there was a, a study done by hospice workers. These are those who take care of people uh, in the end of their life. And they issued this report on the most frequently expe- expressed regrets that people say when they are literally on their deathbed. So these are the, the top five regrets people say when they're on their deathbeds. They say this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number three, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish that I'd let myself be happier. We're going to come back to these in a little bit. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I feel this response of, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have regret. I want to go out with rejoicing. I want to be like Paul, who's like, I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. I'm ready to go. This is, you know, I can't wait to be with Jesus. You know, I want that to be who I am on my way out. And so Luke 10, we're going to look into Jesus and his ministry. If you're visiting with us, this is, uh, this lesson is a little bit focused on those that are made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. That's something we'd love to explain to you and study with you and look into the scriptures. You can see really clearly in scriptures who Jesus was and what he expected. And he did call people to follow him. But, but, but he called them not just to believe in him, not just to accept him, but to follow, like to, to put his words into practice. To give up everything to follow him, he said. And so in Luke 9... Uh, that's where he, he cho- he's got his apostles and his 12 chosen guys and he sends them out on a mission. They come back and, and he's talking about this idea of following. In Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, carry his cross and follow me. So if we want to be a follower of Jesus, it means total investment. It means putting your all in, putting your all into it. So if you're not at that point, you're still going to get a lot out of this lesson. But the lesson is really for for that person who has become a follower of Jesus. And I really want you to investigate and find out what, more what that's about. So in Luke 10, he's got his followers now. These are his disciples. These are the guys who they've left everything behind. Uh, they, they, they're, they're totally invested. And he sends them out on a mission here in Luke 10. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who pronounces, who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So these are, again, these are his followers. These are the guys who've, who've decided to leave their, their, their everything else behind. And, and I want to really follow Jesus. I want to see what it means to, 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 to emulate him, to put his teachings into practice. So he sends them out on this specific mission. And there's a lot of stuff here um, that we, we, aren't, we aren't, don't have time to really dig into, but there's a lot of great stuff here. 
But he's sending them forward to these towns where he's going to come. And so they're kind of going ahead of him into these different towns and cities. And they have a really specific direction, really specific uh, mission and uh, what, what they're supposed to tell people. And, and there's supposed to be a message of the kingdom of God. This is what's happening is the kingdom of God is coming near. So it's kind of getting people ready for them when Jesus would come in. Now, he sends them out two by two. You know, why do you think he did that? Why did he send them two by two? Uh, don't you feel better if you've got a buddy with you? <laughs> if you've got somebody beside you, somebody who can help you when you're down, hopefully that that guy's up when he's down, you're up. You know, we, we need each other. And so I'm really excited uh, that in this church we have that kind of culture, that we, we are involved in each other's lives. So again, if you're visiting with us today, we want you to find out more about that. You can't live, if you look at what the Christian life really means, you can't do it on your own. You need each other. We need other people in our life. I'm so grateful for the relationships I have. In, in my small group ministry, I'm so grateful to have Rick there and Ben there and for the relationships that we have with each other. And we, we encourage each other and we leave each other voicemails, Rick and I, and you know, sometimes we don't get a hold of each other, but we encourage each other just, just in our relationship. I'm so grateful for my partnership with Steve and with Marco and, and for the, the way that we can point out things and help each other and the way we get encouragement. We were hanging out this week, going to a, a, a class that Gordon Ferguson did, just praying together. It was like, man, this is just so good to be together with my friends. And, and I, it's, I want that for every person here. You know, I, when, I, when I feel that, I feel like, man, everybody needs this. Everybody needs real friendships. And so it's cool that Jesus sent them out that way. He knew they need each other. They're going out two by two. But what, we, what can we learn about joy here? Uh, how can we make the choice to rejoice? The first thing I want to talk about is to pray for workers. <clears throat> pray for workers. It's interesting. Jesus realized the task was great. He recognized there was all these needs. And he says the harvest is plentiful. There is so much good that can be done. There is so much fruit just waiting. But the issue is what? The workers are few. There's not that many people who are really trying to obey God. There's not that many people who are really trying to work for the kingdom. And so it's interesting. He doesn't just say, uh, I want you to be a worker. I want you to do it. He says, I want you to pray for workers. Ask the Lord of harvest for workers. When we pray for workers, what does that do? If you picture yourself praying for the work that needs to be done in your community. What does that do if you're praying for workers? It, it, first of all, it makes you a worker. Because if you're praying for workers, well, I got to be one, <laughs> right? And the very next thing Jesus says is, go, I'm sending you, go do this. It's not going to be easy. It's like you're going to be like sheep among wolves, in fact. But we got to do it. And, and uh, so, so when you pray for workers, it makes you a worker. It, it opens your mind to think about the fields. It makes you think about the work that's to be done. And it makes you look for worthy people. There's a, there's a parallel passage in Mark 10 where Jesus says, as you're going out, search for a worthy person. In other words, who can I invest in that will also be a worker? Who can I put my time into that, that can become a worker? And, and that's what he tells him. He says, stay with one house, uh, focus on that household, focus on that family. Why? So that they can become a disciple, so that they can become a worker. Not just We're not supposed to just go out there and tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to go out there and find workers to join with us. That's the way the world's going to be won. That's the way true impact happens is as workers multiply, right? And I'm so encouraged. Uh, I was encouraged yesterday driving around. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we had a bunch of community service projects going on yesterday. And so I was driving around from one to one taking uh, pictures and video and stuff. It was so cool to kind of go to each spot and see people serving. 
it was great to see people, but like the blessings who just got baptized a few weeks ago or a few months ago, but they're, they were serving and they were working and they were invested to see. I saw Troy and I'm sure Mary Lou was there too. He, they just got baptized over the summer. They were working and, you know, the Ben guards a couple years ago, but, but then they were workers, right? And there's many others who've been baptized who are like that. That's the idea that we find people who can be workers. And they join along with us. And so that should be our message to the community of South Bay. Hey, come along with us. Come along. Let's, we're going to volunteer to help some foster kids. Hey, come along. I want to, I want to serve at the food bank. Would you come with me? Would you come uh, be a part of this? Uh, come along with me. I want to go serve these seniors at, at Silverado Senior, Senior uh, Silverado Center, uh, or whatever it is that we're doing, you know, that we will be a worker ourselves and then call others to be workers with us, to come along. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, and uh, we want our lives to count for something that's eternal. I think that deathbed regret, I wish I hadn't worked so much. What does that really mean? It's, I wish I hadn't worked in this. this I, they realized my work was meaningless. I spent so much time at this job, so much time making money, and I wasn't there for my family, I wasn't there for my kids, and what was it all for? And, and all of us, we've got jobs where we spend so many hours at the job that's eternal. What can I do that, that makes impact? That's what we want to be able to, to be about is working for God. And, and being a worker in Jesus' harvest field truly offers you the opportunity to make an eternal difference. So what practical is just every day this week, let's obey this verse. Pray for God to send workers to South Bay. Pray for God to send workers into the South Bay harvest field. Would you do that this week? Every day, say, okay, maybe you set an alarm on your phone or a reminder on your, uh, on your iPad or whatever it is. Pray for workers. Let's just do that. Let's all obey this verse and see what God does. And let's picture how he's going to make a difference in our community. Let's continue reading here in Luke 10. It says in verse 8, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed... Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Okay, so you see here, this again, if you don't know Jesus real well or his teaching... Jesus is not just all flowers and daisies and, oh, peace, love, and joy. You know, I mean, he's, he's pretty serious in this verse, isn't he? He's pretty hardcore. He's like, man, that, you know, if they don't respond, that's on them. But we've got to go out there and do the work. We've got to go out there and offer the gospel to people. And how they respond is up to them. The, the, the second point I wanted to make is, know that the kingdom is near. I love that. That phrase he says in verse 11, be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Sometimes we see the kingdom, sometimes we see great things happen, sometimes we see God moving, but sometimes we just got to trust that God is moving. 
You know, picture you're one of these guys and you go to the city and nobody listens to you and they, they you know, they're, they're down. Who are you to come and tell us? And, and they're down on, on you. And I mean, I don't know how you would feel. I would feel like, oh, I'm, maybe I'm not any good at this. And maybe I didn't follow Jesus' instructions right. Maybe I, maybe I messed up somehow and, oh man, I'm kind of a loser. Uh, you know, you ever felt like that? Maybe teens at your high school, you're trying to share your faith and somebody shuts you down. And you kind of feel like, oh yeah, I'm a weird and I'm, I'm a religious freak or whatever. And I mean, when I was, I was a, uh, a teen in, uh, I was a disciple in the teen ministry and, uh, they used to call me a, a missionary man. Because <laughs> there was a, a, a eurythmic song back there called the, the missionary man. It's actually a cool song, right? Right, yeah. see? Missionary man, he's got God on his side. You know that? Come on, guys. Some old people. Come on, old people, eurythmics. But anyway, you know, I know it feels to kind of be a loser, but Jesus is like, no, shit, wipe the dust off your feet. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. And be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. God is working even when sometimes it doesn't seem like he is. That's a real important thing to grasp if we're going to rejoice in the Lord always. That we trust even when it doesn't look like God is working, God is working. The kingdom of God is near. I had a conversation with one of my kids yesterday, and he or she was saying, um, you know, I feel like uh, I feel like God acted. We were, we were listening to a, a lesson about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and how they were rescued from the fiery furnace. And, and they said, you know, I feel like God worked like that in the past. How come he doesn't work like that now? And I feel like sometimes I try to do what's right and nobody even cares. You ever felt like that? Just kind of, oh, my heart was like, oh, so sorry. You feel that? Does see? God does know. That's what the whole New Testament is about. There's many people who gave their lives. There's many people that God didn't rescue in the immediate sense because there was a resurrection to come and there's a new life to come. And Jesus said, if you get persecuted, if you get, if people take stuff from you or they're down on you, you know what? You should be happy. You should rejoice because that's the way they treated me and that's the way they treated the prophets. And here, don't you see that heart in Jesus? He's like, oh man, at the judgment, it's all going to be put right. And so we got to trust and believe God does see and he does know and he knows the sacrifices that you make and he knows that the stands that you take. And there will be a final reckoning. Know that the kingdom is near. Okay, you're probably wondering what this, why there's a picture of a trampoline on the, on the screen. Our, uh, our big picture, our big, uh, Christmas gift for our kids was the trampoline, and there's a picture of it. But the trampoline was was big and heavy. We bought it uh, Thanksgiving weekend. You know, there was a, a deal on it for for Black Friday or whatever. We actually got it on Saturday. It was still left. <coughs> so it's it's about it was about a, a box about six feet long and about that tall and super heavy. You know, where do you put it, right? Because you don't want them to find it. It's not like you can hide it under your in your closet or something. So I put it in, in in our garage and I put a black drape over it and then I kind of leaned some other stuff against it. And so my kids were in the garage many, many times, but they never knew that trampoline was there. And so uh, on Christmas, we were in New Jersey, so we gave them a box that had stuff in it. And then inside of the box was a picture of the trampoline saying, you know, you have a trampoline waiting for you at home. And so my kids were all like, where was the trampoline this whole time? And so I told them where it was in the garage, and they were like, oh, you know. So then when they got home, you know, we showed them where it was. It was there the whole time. They'd all been out there. They'd all, you know, been right by the trampoline, not knowing the whole time it was there. And so we finally, actually, I set it up on Monday because it was such a dark day in the Craig household. I was like, man, we need some encouragement. 
So I set up the trampoline and, uh, yeah, they, they felt a little better. Um, but, but, but it made me think about the kingdom and how God sometimes is doing something right in our midst. And it's right there. It's like the trampoline in the garage with the, with the black drape on it. it. It's right there, but we don't see, we don't know, we don't pay attention, and we're just kind of, you know, and, and, and Jesus is trying to open our eyes and open our minds to the fact that God is always working. The kingdom of God is right there. Don't give up when things look bleak. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Does that mean you have it now? No. It's being certain of what you do not see. That means we can't see it now. We're promised that one day we will see. We will rejoice for what we hope for. But right now we've got to live by faith. And that helps with the, the daily problems and the issues and the things we face. Know that the kingdom of God is near. Next one, rejoice that you belong. Verse 17. Let's keep reading. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, what's going on here? They're excited. Why? Because when you are a worker for the Lord, when you get out there in the harvest field and you see the harvest is plentiful, and you, you put your faith into practice, it fires you up. How many of you guys were involved with someone becoming a Christian this last year, or getting restored, or you know, you were in their, in their life? And so you know what that feels like. You know, when you see someone's life change, you see someone's life transform, when you're in the harvest field, you get fired up. How many were you involved in serving the poor this last year? Okay, when you, don't you feel joy from doing that? You feel encouraged. Uh, you know, there was a joyful spirit yesterday as I went around to the different places and people were serving. When you, when you get out there and you be a worker and you see things happen, you get filled with joy. And that's exciting. That's good. And yet Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. I've seen some awesome things. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We don't know exactly what he meant by that. Maybe he means... In the, the prehistory time, the dawn of creation when Satan fell from heaven, maybe he means right then. You know, he saw Satan fall as, as, as miracles were happening and as the kingdom was coming near. We don't know exactly what he meant, but he's saying there's a spiritual battle that's really going on. And I've seen it and it's huge and it's amazing. And yet don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What was he trying to get their focus on? I think he was trying to get them not to focus on the results. Not to focus on kind of the surroundings, uh, because what happens is then then our faith is up and our faith is down. Our faith, our joy is up and our joy is down because because success and failure are going to ebb and flow. You see that in the Bible. Even the Apostle Paul, sometimes he was successful. Sometimes it was a failure. Even Jesus, the man, you know, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was flawless. Some people responded. Some people didn't. Some cities, there was great impact. Other cities, there was, there was almost no miracles because their lack of faith. So results come, results go, but we've got to be focused on who we belong to. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But this is an important thing. This is something we learned in our church, because for a while our church was very successful. I mean, I'm so grateful for what God did through our church in planting churches all over the world. I mean, there's hundreds of churches, 400 some churches in all these countries of the world. 
and for a while we were the fastest growing church in L.A. And we, but but that kind of became our gospel. Like, come to our church. It's the fastest growing church in L.A. You got to see it. Come to come to our church. We're having all these results, results, results. You got to come see. And that became the gospel. That's not the gospel. Right. And so so Jesus, God had to even refine us and get our focus on on the right thing. What does he mean? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does he mean about that? Well, there's a lot of background in the Bible about this idea of the book of life. Uh, just just to kind of give you some of the background in, in Exodus 32, Moses says he's trying to reason with God and he's praying for the people. And he says, uh, if not, please blot me out of your book you have written. So even back as far as Exodus 32, Moses is talking about this book and names being in that book. Uh, Psalm 69 mentions the book of the living. Daniel 12 mentions everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And, and there's others, you know, in, in the Old Testament, this idea of a book of life. And then, of course, in the New Testament, uh, it's throughout the book of Revelation. Philippians 4 talks about people whose names are written in the book of life. And, and we see it many times in, in Revelation, like in, in Revelation 20, where anyone whose name is not in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, anyone whose name is in the book of life, they enter uh, the, the new Jerusalem. So what does that mean? That rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Uh, scholars think this has to do with uh, the, this ancient tradition of, of having a, a public registry, registry for everyone who was a citizen of a particular, you know, under a certain king's authority. And, and this registry served as backup for, uh, you know, what inheritance and, 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 and things like that, legal matters. And so rejoice that our names are written in the book of life means you are God's. You are his. You are, you are under his care. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Holy means set apart. You're a special nation. You're a people belonging to God. You know, we're special. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying you are special. That's what should re- you should rejoice in. That you belong to God. That you have an identity that's beyond, you know, being a Californian or being a uh, an executive or being a, uh, you know, whatever, you know, the identities the world puts on us. No, I belong to God. That's your true identity. And that's where the rejoicing should come from. Uh, you know, in the teen ministry, in the junior high ministry, you guys are in that point where you're kind of searching for your identity. And who am I? And am I a, a geek or am I a nerd or am I a, you know, a jock or am I, the, you know how that, there's all those labels in high school? Old people, you remember that, right? You know, the stoners over there and the, you know, they had the metalheads. These are the guys in my school. There was the metalheads and the stoners and the, the jocks and the, the, the pop tarts, we called them. Those were the, the, the real popular people. I, I don't know what they are nowadays, but there's those labels in school. And so you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in, what your identity is. It was funny because I, uh, when I got, uh, when when we I started dating uh, shortly after my parents moved, we I grew up in Colorado and lived in Colorado for many years, and I started dating Dessa. My parents moved to San Diego, and so I, I suddenly had somewhere I needed to put some stuff, and so I put some stuff in Dessa's parents' garage. I think I've told you about that before. It was like, oh man, this is a big step in our relationship, putting some stuff in her parents' garage. So I put some stuff there, and it was there for many, many, many years. And so I just recently, uh, just a couple days ago, was going through this box 
of stuff from all the way back then. So this is like, it's like a window of, of 25 plus years ago. A time capsule, yeah, because I hadn't even looked at it. And so I'm looking through this stuff, and there's all this stuff. I'm like, why did I keep this? Why did I have this? What significance did this have? And there's all these scraps of paper. It's funny how many maps I had, like hand-drawn maps, you know, on scratches of paper, how to get here and how to get there. It was like, wow, I forgot that you used to have to do that. You know, you had to give someone a map of how to get somewhere. That's weird. But but there was there was a lot of things that I knew. It, it was sort of a flashback. Oh, yeah, that was really important back then. Oh, oh yeah, I, I, I remember this, or, or pictures or photos. But But it has absolutely no significance to me now. I mean, I, I, there's no emotional attachment. It, it means nothing now, but it meant so much back then. And it made me think about what's going to really matter in the next life. You know, the things that we get so worried about or so anxious about or, or that consume our emotions sometimes, are they really going to matter? I mean, all that really matters is that our name is written in the book of life, right? And all that really matters is the relationships, the people that are around us who are going with us, the fellow workers, and that's what really matters. And so Jesus wants us to get our focus in the right place. Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. I mean, that's a good thing. But rejoice that you belong to God. You are his possession. We can always rejoice that we belong to God. No matter what's happening. Good things happening, bad things happening, success, failure. If you belong to God, that's something that will always give you joy. That, that I'm his and we're going to be there together. And it's not just someday I'm going to be in heaven. It's a present reality. He doesn't say your name will be written or you're someday going to go to heaven. He says your name is written in the book of life. It's a current reality that you belong to God. Last thing we're going to look at, look for what God is doing. Look for what God is doing. Verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. To hear what you hear but did not hear it. So Jesus has this interaction with uh, his guys, and he's telling them, don't, don't rejoice the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then it says, then Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said. You know, Jesus just had this moment where he just was, he felt himself, I'm just, he just was full of joy. Through the Holy Spirit. You ever had a feeling like that? Maybe it's at a conference, or maybe it's as we worship together, or it's maybe it's looking at your kids, or maybe it's you know, at a special moment or in a study or a baptism or, you know, just those moments where you just feel so much joy through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you you recognize what God is doing. And, and, and he says, I praise you. His immediate thing is, I want to praise God for this moment. I praise God for what he's doing. That, that God is, is revealing himself through the little children. These are things that the scholars are missing. The people who, in another place, Jesus says, you memorize these scriptures. You know the scriptures back and forth, and yet those are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Because their own pride and their own just being caught up in this world, it blinded their eyes. And Jesus says, these guys don't get it, but the little kids get it. 
And I love how, you know, several times Jesus has these interactions with little kids. The apostles are trying to keep the kids away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let the little kids come. This is good. Another place right before this, uh, the chapter before, um, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus has a little kid come and stand, stand by him as he's teaching, you know, as a, a little illustration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've got to simplify. We've got to get back to the basics. Just kids are joyful, aren't they? Kids don't care about all these things that we as grown-ups stress out about sometimes. It was funny, even as I was, I was working on this, last night I was working on this sermon at Starbucks. And uh, I go to Starbucks because i got to get away from the sounds in my house, you know, and, and just from the stresses in my house. It's like everywhere I look is another thing I need to do, right? So I go to Starbucks where I can kind of focus and work. And so I'm actually, I was working on this point, and I'm trying to focus and I'm trying to think. Sometimes with a sermon, you just have to kind of be still and think and try to pray. And God, what do you want said? And what is it? What, what can we get from this? And just, you got to kind of think deeply. So I'm sitting at Starbucks, and I'm trying to think deeply, and this kind of crowd comes in. It's three families, uh, these, these young Asian families. They've got three little, little kids. And they're super noisy and making all this ruckus. And, and they started, this is no joke, the mo- one of the moms has the kids together and she starts singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet, stomp, stomp. You know, hooray. And the kids are like, hooray. You know, the whole Starbucks. Is... And they must have done this like four or five times. And, and, and so I'm like, gosh, I'm trying to think. I can't, I can't focus on my sermon here. You know, just, man. You know, and then I'm like, wait a second. What did Jesus say here? You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. You know, and I've got my books of commentaries and like, wait, wait. Maybe God wants me to put away the commentaries and focus on the little kids over here. You know, stomp, stomp, hooray, you know. So I, I didn't join them, but in my heart I did. But I just think, you know, Jesus is saying, it's so cool that God does this. It's so cool that God does that. It's so cool that God does this. And, and when you... Uh, when you are putting these things into practice, making the choice to rejoice, when you're praying for workers, when you're seeing the kingdom is near, when you're, you're, you're partnering with God, then you see these moments where, where you go, oh, wow, look what God did here. Look what God did there. You know, look how God answered this prayer. And it fills you with joy. And it's a real exciting, adventurous life. When we don't do that, when we're just kind of focused on ourselves and our own needs and our own worries and our own whatever... Then, then life is just kind of dull. You know, we're just kind of trying to get through. And, and I want to, I want this year, I want to live a, a life of joy. I want to be partnering with God. I want to be along the ride with God going, wow, look what God did here. Look what God did there. This is so cool, just like Jesus said. And he tries to get them to have this focus. Like in 20, verse 23, he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see. These poor fishermen, there were nobodies in the eyes of the world. There's this huge Roman Empire that rules the world. They don't even know who these guys are. I mean, they're, even Jesus himself is so insignificant at this point in history. And, and these are just some poor nobodies, unschooled. They aren't, even, even, they aren't even significant in the Jewish community. There's a tax collector who everybody hates. And there's some poor fishermen. You know, they're nobodies. And yet Jesus says, prophets and kings have wished to see what you are seeing right now. This is so cool. Blessed are you. And, and that's the kingdom of God, that God does these miraculous, amazing things that, you know, it was the shepherds that saw the angels. 
You know, it wasn't even the Magi. It wasn't even it wasn't King Herod. It wasn't the great men. It was these nobody shepherds in the fields that saw this heavenly host saying the king is here. I mean, that is so cool. That's how God operates. And I want to be a part of that. I want to make that choice to rejoice and and open my eyes to the spiritual realities. You know, we do have a, a, a spiritual choice to rejoice. And and this is even a clinical thing that that scientists are coming around. There's a new study uh, that, that's kind of the subject of happiness. And, and it, if, you, if you have Netflix, you can even go on Netflix and look up happy or happiness. And there's all kinds of TED Talks about it, if you know what TED Talks are. There's all kinds of scientists who are studying happiness. They're realizing that this is a real thing. It used to be kind of, oh, happiness or not happiness. Or, but they're realizing that, wait, there is something to be said. There's a, there's a clinical study of happiness. And it's not about what you have. And, 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 and there's this movie, uh, a documentary called Happy on Netflix, and they're, they're talking about these, like this guy who, who pulls a rickshaw in India. You know, those are the, the, the little thing you attach to yourself and you pull passengers, and he's just so happy. He just loves his life, and he loves his kids, and he loves his community. He's so grateful for what he has. And, and so they're starting to realize, well, people can make the choice to rejoice in what they have. And they're even doing some studies where they'll give people choices and, and they'll make choices and then they'll, they'll realize that people can, can make this, they can kind of reprogram their brains. I don't have time to really dig into it, but there's this one uh, TED Talk where it was a scientist that t- it talks about happiness and how they've done these studies where they give them these paintings, they, they rank paintings, uh, these five paintings from one to five, and then they get to keep one uh, and then they do the study... There's all these controls to it, but it shows that when you make a choice, when you when you like invest, like you get to keep this one, then then they rate it later. Then it becomes more popular, like like the one that you picked, you realize, hey, it's a really good one. And the one that I didn't pick, oh, yeah, that one's kind of lame, you know, and and you kind of reprogram your brain. And it's it happens that they're so sure that it's true, because even someone who has amnesia, like they don't even know they picked it, like like short term amnesia. They did these studies, so they don't even know that they picked it. And yet. The changes still happen in their brain where the one that they picked and invested in, they like that one more now, even though they don't remember doing that. Because because you, you have the, the this this he calls it equipment. He says you have the capacity in your mind to synthesize happiness. In other words, you have equipment in your brain to, to make a choice to rejoice is really what he's talking about, that we can choose how we want to look at something. There's a positive way to look at it. There's a negative way to look at it. And I just see in these passages, Jesus is looking at things positively. Like, what is God doing? Uh, pray for workers. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. It's a bleak situation. Well, pray for workers. God's going to do something awesome. Uh, all, these, all these cities are not listening. They're not responding. Well, you know what? Know that the kingdom of God has come near. God is still doing something. Oh, wow, it was awesome. It happened great or it happened better. Hey, rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. It's again, it's this choice to take responsibility for the way that we think about the world and not being so up and down based on what's going on around us. And if you think about those uh, regrets people had, let's go back to that for a minute. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. I wish I would had the courage to express my feelings. You know, if you put these things into practice, if you make the choice to re- rejoice, God's going to you're going to be taking bold steps. You're going to be courageous. You're going to be stepping out. You're going to not have this regret at the end of your life because Jesus is going to send you out on a mission. and You're going to see great things happen. And 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 that that won't apply to you. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. 
you know, I think if you're working for something that matters, if you're if you're investing in relationships, if if you have these principles that we're talking about, that's not going to apply to you. You're not going to get to the end and go, man, I wish I hadn't just worked all the time. But you're going to have the focus in the right place. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I love how Jesus sends us out two by two. And the kingdom is all about relationships. Stay in that house. Stay there. Stay, you know, like like invest in these relationships. That's what and, and they're eternal relationships. We're going to be together forever. And that's what heaven is. It's it's us together with with God in our midst all together forever. We're going to have those real relationships. I wish I'd let myself be happier. Well, I think if, if we are making the choice to rejoice, if we are putting our our, our thought and our mind, you know, centered on the fact that we belong to God, we're going to be able to, to enjoy life. We're going to be able to see things that, wow, this is great God did, and this is great God did. We're going to let ourselves be happier if we really obey these things. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time singing about this stuff, because there's something about singing that helps me to rejoice, and I, I bet it helps you to rejoice too. I, I saw a band uh, on, on Friday night that I really like called Gungor, and uh, these guys are amazing, the most amazing musicians I've ever seen live. But there was times in this in this concert that I just I just my eyes were full of tears. And it was just because this is so awesome. I love this music. It just is it's connecting with my soul. And so I believe God made us that way. And so music is meant to be something that it's a, an opportunity for us to rejoice. So we're going to be singing several songs about this idea of rejoicing. The last song that we're going to sing is Lead Me to Calvary. So we'll focus on the cross and then Lamar is going to come up and pray for us to take communion together. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to teach you a new song. Some of you guys might know it. It's called Again I Say Rejoice by uh, Israel Hooten. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to sing an oldie but a goodie. This song is 100 plus years old. Uh, called Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. But I want to give you the background of it before, uh, before we sing it. Uh, there was a, it was a poem that was written in 1907 with the intention of musically setting it to the famous Ode to Joy medley, me- melody of the final movement of Beethoven's final symphony, Symphony Number no. 9. So we all know that. That was written in like 1824. So... Many years later, this guy writes these words to fit to that melody. And the words are so powerful. This guy was actually a preacher, and he was in town. He was staying at the home of, of, uh, of somebody named Williams College, serving as a guest preacher uh, at the time. And he told his host that the local Berkshire Mountains has, had been his inspiration. So he's looking at these mountains. Here's a picture of these mountains in the winter. Beautiful uh, scene. And he wrote these words. I'm going to read the words. And then, uh, and then we're gonna, gonna sing it together. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, Lord of love, heart like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Listen to this one. All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. 
Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Mortals, join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. Father love is reigning o'er us. Brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Let's pray and then we'll uh, stand and sing. God, thank you so much. Jesus uh, taught us how to lead a life that really matters. Uh, thank you that just for the look into Luke 10 and the principles that we can uh, find there. And I pray that each one of us would uh, go home changed from our time looking in your in your word today. God, I pray that we can have a joy that really lasts. And uh, Father, I pray that we can uh, be able to uh, see more people added to your kingdom, God, as we truly rejoice and as we truly uh, put these things into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.